0: Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. amazing, genuinely lovely to see you all. Um, I've just come from the Stockwell service, um, which is amazing. They send their love when I said I was coming on here, obviously. It always seems to happen to me, so the taxi didn't turn up. (laughs) I have multiple taxi stories, but I was brought here by Tim, which is amazing, so I'm just glad we made it on time and we are here together. And we are at the start of a new series this week. where we are going to be spending the next seven weeks delving into what are known as the I am sayings of Jesus. And it is often said that Jesus spoke in parables, which he did, but he also made some very definitive, self-declarative claims about who he is. And so they are important and significant. And when I was chatting with Joel Wade, who leads our Mile End Service, about this series, he said, we're we're basically letting Jesus speak for himself. (laughs) And that is a sense of what these next seven weeks are going to be. And these I am sayings, unsurprisingly, they all start with I am. (laughs) Um, And it's a way that we introduce ourselves. I'm Joe. It was a way that they would have introduced themselves when Jesus was here on earth as well. So in some ways, it's common use. But as with so many things in the Bible, there are also layers of depth and meaning in history. And we can trace these statements with Jesus back to a happening in the Old Testament when God appeared. Appeared to Moses as he commissioned him to lead the Israelites out of slavery. And God says, I am. And gathered up in the power of those words was, I have been, I am, I will be, I exist. And not only do I exist, but I am making myself known to you. And so Jesus is building on this revelation also from when God spoke in that way. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to be taking a week and looking at each one of these statements. Jesus says, "'I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, and the light of the world.'" And these declarations, they provoke a response. R.C. Sproul has said, it is one thing to believe in God. It is quite another to believe God. And so we are given this moment over the next seven weeks to actually reflect on our response to these statements of Jesus. These statements that invite us to actually ask ourselves the question, do I believe God who do I believe he is? Do I believe that he is who he says he is? Don't worry about the noise, it's family. <laughs> We're still all in here together. They're having a great time. And um, this this question, as I considered, um, this came home to me in a whole new way in February. Um, I had had a, a pain in my side for a long time that I'd had different things happened with, and then some new symptoms developed, and I was being sent for more um, tests and scans. And thankfully, um, I was so grateful. I know I don't take this for granted, but thankfully I was cleared of anything serious. But this one evening in February, I had a phone call with a doctor who basically, without naming anything, suggested some serious diagnoses and did it in quite an abrupt manner. And we hung up, it was six o'clock, Friday night, it was dark, it was locked down, I was by myself. (laughs) so I was like, oh my gosh. So I began to get, I got quite overwhelmed and with thoughts about the future and also a long story which I won't go into, but I also began to believe that this was punishment. And so then I was also overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Now for the record, I do not believe that God punishes with illness. We do not believe that as a church. He hates sickness. But I'm just being honest and telling you the back hole that I was slowly or quite quickly actually sliding into. And so the next day I thought, okay, I can't change, I don't know actually what is going to be diagnosed, but I actually need to take care of my spirit <laughs> um, here, that is one thing I can take care of in this moment, so I fasted and prayed on the Saturday, and we got towards the end of the day, and I was like, God, where are you, like, where are you in this, what are you saying, like, what's going on? And I felt like he just um, brought to mind Hebrews chapter 12. And in that, I looked it up and there was a verse that stood out and it was God disciplines the ones that he loves. And I love that chapter. I pray for God's discipline. Like I ask him to parent me. Um, I love it. But in that moment, I thought, this is discipline. I'm being disciplined with this. And then I sensed God say, and when I say I sensed God say, I, we actually believe that God speaks, we're in friendship with him. And there's a whole, this is a whole other series of talks that we actually have on our website. Um, and he speaks in so many different ways, but on this one Saturday in February, I actually heard him in sentences. And I believe that he said, no, I am disciplining you in who you think I am. And I suddenly felt like on my own, in my lounge, I was in church (laughs) and I was like, oh my gosh, like God, there was a sense of awe that came into the room. And then I think he said, who do you think you are to tell me who I am? And I don't know if God has ever spoken to you like that, but I was quite overcome with awe. And you might think, gosh, that sounds like a harsh way for God to speak. I'm not saying he will speak to all of us in that way. But in that moment, that was actually what I needed. That was what I needed to wake me back up. And it began a process of me actually asking these questions of myself. Who do I believe you are? Who do you say I am? And I say all of that. Because I actually believe that that is a question that God invites all of us to consider. Jesus asked his disciples when he was here on earth, he said to them, who do you say I am? It's a question that he actually, it's not a question of judgment, it's an invite to actually um, (coughs) help us to see who he is and who we are and realign ourselves where we need to. It matters to God what we believe about him it matters to Jesus. And you may have never considered this question before. Maybe you're here for the first time and you're thinking, well, that's why I've come to church, to find out. Or maybe you've been around for years. Wherever we're at today, there's not going to be a roving mic that's going to go around. There's not going to be a questionnaire at the end that you need to give your answer. That's not what is happening. But I just think we have this gift of the next seven weeks to actually hear the words of Jesus and allow ourselves to ask the questions, do I believe you? Who do I believe that you are? And the reason that I'm dwelling here at the start of this series is because our answer to these questions shapes everything. (laughs) It shapes how we will live life. It shapes how we will give and receive love. It shapes how we will understand grief and suffering. It shapes how we understand the world and the times that we live in. It shapes how we live out being family here. And if we follow this question to the places that might lead us, we might have moments where something shifts or it might begin a process that just lasts for a while. But I think God wants to know that he's not afraid of these questions and he actually invites us into these real spaces with him. This life of faith is not one of neatly packaged and tied up and ticked boxes. But it's one of wonder and questions and doubt and discovery and wisdom and love. And as we go on these processes with God, we actually have the chance to meet him powerfully in beautiful and significant ways. So our first statement today is when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And we're going to look at this, we're going to look at it in the context of when he said it, the context of the Bible, what it means, and then actually ask ourselves the question, so what and then? And Jesus makes this statement after a remarkable happening you may have heard the story of the feeding of the 5000 that we know if you haven't heard of it basically Jesus had been out all day loads of people had gathered to follow him and it got to the end of the day there was 5000 men plus women and children so there was a lot of people and Jesus is like they must be hungry we've been out all day so he turns to his disciples and he says how are we going to feed them all Jesus knew but he still wanted to ask the question and his disciples are like i mean this is going to cost so much money to feed all of these people we don't know and then a boy appears with five loaves and two fish and Jesus takes this and he gives thanks and he breaks it and he basically keeps on breaking it because these fives and two five loaves and two fish are multiplied enough that they feed the thousands of people that are there and there are 12 basketfuls left over and so we're going to come now in John chapter 6. This is where we are today, the chapter that we have been given. We've been given the whole chapter. <laughs> so we're going to read some of it. Some of it will come up on the screen, and I'm just going to kind of pass over some of it. Um, but I would just say go away and read it. Um, John chapter 6 is where we are at today. So after this miraculous event had just happened, it says in um I think I need glasses. <laughs> I'm like, I, this happened to me in Stockwell. It's a very sad moment for me because I've never worn glasses. <laughs> I think, somewhere in John chapter 6, I think it might be verse 14. I might need to start doing bigger print. Oh, thank you. <laughs> just, I think it's 14. Um, it says... After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, "'Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world.' Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself." Excuse me. And then they find him, and he says, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for this food that will spoil, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So then they ask, Well, what must we do to do the work that God requires? Jesus gives them this profound answer The work of God is this. To believe in the one that he has sent. And so they asked him, well, what sign are you going to give us so that we can see it and we can believe you? Our ancestors had manna in the wilderness, and he it's written he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus says to them, it's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father. And so they say, oh, well, <coughs> excuse me, and Jesus says, the bread of God is the bread that comes from heaven and gives life. And they say, give us this bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, but I've told you, and you've seen me, and you still don't believe. And they began to say, how can he be the bread of life? We know his mom and dad. Um, how can he have come down from heaven? And then Jesus says, stop grumbling amongst yourselves. I am the bread of life. Yes, your is, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they died. But here is the bread that comes from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I'm living bread this bread is my flesh which I give for the, light, the life of the world. And then they began to say, "How, how can he give us his flesh? And Jesus replies and explains to them what he means by this. And on hearing what he has said, many of the disciples said, "This is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, "The words that I've spoken to you, they're full of spirit and life. But from this time, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. You don't want to leave me too? Jesus turns and asks the 12, his closest followers. And Simon Peter answers him, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. It's a big passage. (laughs) So let's just unpack it a little. The people in Jesus had been out all day. He saw that they were hungry, and so he provided food for them. Miraculously, he takes care of their physical hunger. And then he takes that miracle as a moment, not just to teach them about what he did, but who he is. Because they weren't seeing him. Their minds were on the past. When they talk about manna in the wilderness, it had been when Moses, had, led, through God, had led the Israelites out of slavery. He, God was leading them to their future, but they were in the wilderness, and every day God provided this bread from heaven. It was provision for their freedom. It was daily bread. So then, when the Israelites are fed with bread in this miraculous way that we've just read about, They immediately make the connection back to Moses and him leading the Israelites, and they assume that Jesus is another prophet, another Moses that has come, and so they begin to think they see the plan coming together. Here's another prophet that can be our miracle king and save us from the oppression and the occupation of Roman army, but God was not simply repeating a miracle that he had done before, and Jesus would not be cornered into the thinking of who the Israelites understood that he was or what they thought they needed. The feeding of the 5,000 wasn't only about providing a meal and it wasn't about Jesus being another prophet to free that generation from Rome. It was about something so much bigger. It was a sign and signs point to things. This was a sign of a new season, a new provision, a season of abundance. Jesus fed the 5,000. There were 12 basketfuls left over. On another occasion, he fed 4,000 plus. um, And there were seven basketfuls left over. And there's this conversation with his disciples recorded when Jesus actually asks them, how many did we feed? How many basketfuls were left over? Because it was all symbolic of this new season of Jesus saying, I haven't just come to provide bread for you here on earth. I am new provision for eternal freedom for anyone who chooses to believe. I am abundant Life. I am life in all its fullness. Rachel Held Evans says this many of Jesus' actions serve as breathing reenactments of biblical images and prophecies. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus acts out these stories and images in order to infuse them with new meaning and point to himself as their ultimate fulfillment. Jesus is saying, yeah, I've done this miracle. Yeah, I want to care for you. Yeah, I want to feed you when you're hungry. But I want it to be something that causes you to not only see the provision itself, but see me. See who I am I am provision for your freedom once and for all. And this flesh that I speak about, my my blood and my flesh, it's speaking of when I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die and I'm going to come back to life and I am going to overcome death and make a way for you to know freedom and eternal life. This is what all of this is about. I am provision for you. I care about your body, your soul, your spirit. So, what does this mean if we follow these signs that Jesus is pointing to? Well, in order to think about Jesus being the bread of life, we have to think about hunger, hey? (coughs) Jesus is offering himself as the fulfillment, the answer to not only physical hunger, but spiritual hunger. And hunger is a reality that we all live with. Who has ever been physically hungry? Yes, what do we do? We eat. What happens a few hours later? We're hungry again. What do we do? We eat. There we go. And if we're thirsty, we? We drink. We have these needs. They're signs that our bodies need something. Hunger is a symptom of need. And most of us have the means here to be able to satisfy those needs. But what about our spiritual hunger? The desires and the longing for meaning, fulfillment, belonging, purpose, contentment. These hungers are signs that we as a person also need something. In multiple surveys that have been done, once basic human needs are taken care of, happiness is the number one thing that people want, the number one thing that they're hungry for. And happiness encompassing belonging, sorry, contentment, purpose, and meaning. So if we have these hungers, these longings, these desires, how do we satisfy them? We can't just go to the fridge and take out a box of leftovers, and next to it will be sat a pile of meaning, or I might have that with my lunch today, and then a few hours later, we go and we get some pasta out the cupboard with a jar of purpose. We can't do that, and yet... I wonder if that is actually what some of us might be doing. I need to feel purposeful right now. I need fulfillment right now. And as with our physical hunger and thirst, we look to ways to satisfy these legitimate human needs, maybe our jobs, our families, entertainment. And in some ways, that's not a bad thing. Family, friendships, creativity, art, work, laughter, nature. They're gifts from God. They're signs from God. But we could find ourselves a little like the Israelites in the passage, seeing these gifts, this manner, if you like, that can nourish us. And yet we miss who they're pointing to. And so we still have this ache and this hunger pains for more. And instead of allowing this hunger to help us ask good questions, to help point us to who God is and to his presence with us, we keep on looking for more manna. Maybe we've taken these things and we're actually no longer enjoying them as gifts, but ways to actually numb the hunger and numb the longings that we have. We don't even want to know that we're hungry anymore. We can't even bear the ache anymore. And so we just keep feeding ourselves so that we don't even have to stop and actually listen to what we need and what we really desire. Whatever it may be, we just keep going, TV, food, sex, alcohol, career, adventure, whatever. If that is us, what is stopping us from feeling the hunger, from sitting with our aches, our longings, our needs, Is it because we don't believe they can actually be satisfied? And this is a question that theologians, philosophers, artists, so many people have asked throughout the ages, isn't it one of life's fundamental questions? Before I can think about what satisfies me, do I believe that it's actually even possible? McJagger, sang it, I can't get no satisfaction. Kafka, a Jewish atheist novelist, he also didn't think so. It's said that he summed up all of his writings with, there is a goal, but there is no way. And Peter Kreeft, who is a philosopher, a professor at Boston College, has summed up, gathered a lot of other thinking. And he actually disagrees with this and has suggested two premises and a conclusion. Number one, every natural Innate desire in us points to a corresponding real object that can satisfy that desire. Number two, there exists in us also a desire which nothing in time, nothing on earth, no creature can satisfy. Therefore, there exists something outside of time, earth and creatures which can satisfy this desire. Jesus, through the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, I think is inviting us to feel the hunger. He validates hunger, to actually understand that it's a precious part of being human. And I think he invites us to feel the fullness of our need, not to play games with us, but because he is the one outside of earth and time and creatures who can satisfy this need. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not go hungry. Whoever drinks of me will never thirst again. And these words that I speak to you, they're full of life. And the, one of the reasons that I believe that Jesus is the bread of life is because he's love. Because he is love. Every one of us, as we know Jesus, as we choose to believe and receive the love of God, we can wake up every morning and say, I am loved. Whatever happens today, whatever I am facing, whoever I am, I am loved. And I'm not only am I loved, I am loved with a love that will never leave me. I am loved with a love that fights for me. I am loved with a love that works on my behalf. I am loved with a love that has made a way for me to know eternal life. I am loved. Right down there in the deep, messy, secret places of who we are, all of it is loved. I am loved. As I was praying and preparing today, one phrase just came strongly to my mind, and it was this His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And it's taken from 2 Corinthians, where it's written of God, He says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And I just felt this really strongly that that's what God wanted to remind us of today. His grace is sufficient, and his power is made perfect in weakness. We're not meant or expected to have it all together. We're going to receive communion in just a moment. (coughs) Excuse me. But to recognize, to understand Jesus as the bread of life is to understand and recognize and admit that we have needs. (laughs) We, don't, we can't sustain our bodies physically by our own power, and we can't sustain ourselves spiritually by our own power. We're weak, we're fragile, we mess up, we, we hurt each other, we make stupid choices sometimes. But we don't have to keep doing the same things over and over again. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. It's in saying, Jesus, I'm hungry. Jesus, I'm hungry for freedom. I'm hungry for your presence. I'm hungry for life. I'm hungry for love. I don't have it all together. None of us are expected to. But I've laid out a table and, you know, if we had a gorgeous place in, you know, we'd actually lay out in stock where we had a lovely rug and it was all gorgeous. But if you use your imagination here, <laughs> it looks a bit formal like we're about to sit down for an interview, <laughs> but actually, I, I think, I just basically sense Jesus was inviting us to dine with him. And as we receive communion this morning, it's not just a quick snack, but it's actually dinner, invitation to dinner, to dine with Jesus, to come and sit at this table with him, to tell him what we're hungry for, to actually ask him to meet us in these places. In Psalm 23, there's this image pl- painted and it says you have prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies and it speaks of how God prepares a table in the beauty and the joy but also the challenges the grief the pain he prepares the table in the midst of our every day and what happens at the table as we dine with Jesus he restores our souls he restores our souls (coughs) and for the meal that we have come to know is the Last Supper. Jesus actually sat at a table with his disciples. I am actually just going to take this off. He sat at a table with his disciples, and he invited them to dine with him, and as they were sat there on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread that was on the table, And he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's given for you. And he took the wine that was on the table and he poured it. And he said, this is my blood. That is a sign of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. Dine with me. And we're going to take communion in just a moment. And because of regulations, we each have our own little packet on our seats. Um, if you don't have one, just wave your arm. And if you would like to receive communion this morning, there's, this is a free invite. You're so welcome to do this, whether this is your first time here and this is just a step of you moving toward Jesus. Um, if you don't have one, just give a wave. Thanks God. Lovely people, they will come and give you one. But as we take our own in just a moment, I want to invite you to imagine that you're dining with Jesus. You can imagine the table simple like this, or you can imagine it laden with your favorite food, whatever it would be, but we have this moment to dine with him. Tell him what you're hungry for. Tell him where you're weak. Tell him where your need is. And as you do, listen to him, receive from him. I was um, with a bunch of five-year-olds a few weeks ago in, well, a little while ago in church. And um, one of them said, God spoke to me. And the leader of the group said, what did he say? And the five-year-old said, I don't know. He spoke so quietly, I couldn't hear him. It has cracked me up ever since I heard it. But <laughs> how often do we feel like that? God spoke quietly. I can't hear him. God, where are you? That may be where you're at today. God, where are you? I haven't been hearing you. I know especially this season, some people are like, I've just found it hard. Where are you? And if you hear nothing else from God today, I want you to hear these words. I'm the bread of life. I'm your provision for freedom once and for all. I have made a way for you to know life in all its fullness. My presence is your daily bread. My presence is the gift with you and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And as we go from here this morning in a, in a few minutes, I invite us to just consider having a meal with Jesus. It may be that you need to get up early one breakfast, take the kids to school, come home, have lunch, whatever it may be, but just sit with Jesus even at home and have a meal with him, talk to him listen, receive, whatever it may be. And one of the lovely things I think when we're friends with Jesus is we can be dining with him. Life can be one long lingering meal with Jesus. We can be on the bus, we can be in the office, we can be in conversation with friends and our hearts can be dining with Jesus. And I think he is inviting us again this morning to actually say when we find ourselves in any of those moments God, I need you. Would you be my provision in this situation? Would you be with me in this circumstance? I need you in this place, in this way. I need your presence with me. I wonder if the band would like to come up. Thanks, gang. This table is an altar. It is a profound place of communion. And I'm going to read the words of the song as the band just play. And then I'm going to invite us to say a prayer together um, that I think might come up on the screen. And then I'm just going to invite you to receive communion yourself. Dine with Jesus. Are you tired of always running from the shadows of your past? Have the worries of tomorrow placed a load upon your back? Still your heart and come to Jesus. He has all the peace you lack. Come to him, wait for him. Has your soul become distracted by the chaos and the noise? Have you wasted your attention on the meaningless and void? Still your heart and come to Jesus. Wait to hear his still small voice. Find rest, weary soul, in the open arms of Jesus be made whole. He will meet you in your weakness. He will restore your soul. Are you burdened by the questions that have risen from your grief? Are you weary from the morning? Do your tears bring no relief? Still your heart and come to Jesus. Let him fill you with his peace. Come to him. Faithful servant, are you wounded? Have you lost the will to fight? Fix your eyes on future glory, pressing on to win the prize. Rise up and come to Jesus. See the mercy in his eyes. Come to him. He is patient when we're restless. He is gracious. He is kind. Cast your burdens onto Jesus. Let him fill you with his life. He's not anxious for your future. He's redeeming what is past. He's not troubled by confusion. Let him lead you by the hand. Find rest, weary soul. Find rest in his love, in the arms of Christ alone. If you would like to join me, we may. pray for us. Oh, here, No. I'm going to pray and if you want to agree, you can just say amen and then bring your own words um, to Jesus. Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. Forgive us where we have marred your love within us and wounded the image you created us in. We come to this table with grateful hearts. We come to receive freedom. We come to be restored. To you be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.